0: Hi, welcome to Season 3 of the Pictures Out There podcast series. This is chat number 16. In this podcast, Lee and Dave chat about why they do these podcasts and books. A Confederate statue in Charlottesville, Nobel Prize winner Claudia Golden, the Equality for All movement, the Out There model, and even more. And now, here's Dave and Lee.
1: Well, thank you, Candy, for that very kind introduction. This is Lee. And this is Dave. And welcome back to our Pictures Out There podcast series. Thank you for joining us. We'd like to extend a warm welcome to our present-day audience. Hi. Our audience in years, decades, perhaps centuries from now. People. Our future AI audience. Hey, hey, hey. How about an alien audience? Why not? Why not? and our universal audience. Glad to have you listening, and thanks for joining. We like to begin by reflecting on these two questions. What are your ideals, and what are your pictures? So, Lee... Why do we do these books and these
2: podcasts? What's the driver? What's our motivation here? Here at the end of the calendar year, this is our last podcast for calendar year 2023. What if future generations want to understand what they might do to remake the world they live in, or if it can even be remade? Well, we'll give that a shot. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take a stab at that one. And so we have looked to have context in the books and in the podcast that we think is pretty timeless out there into the future. And we've picked things to lift up that we believe throughout time have been true or basic and that are also pretty simple. So our concepts are not that complicated. Mm -hmm. Lots of times not that complicated. And we've also tried to pick things that we would say are absorbable or that Mm. can be practiced. Yes. Okay, and right. that we imagine a thousand years from now somebody would go, Yeah, that stuff still is kinda it. Mm-hmm. You know that's kind of what works. And there may be all sorts of ways they explained it back in twenty twenty three. Right. That sound like dinosaurs to us <laughs> now, but the basic concepts are still the same. Yes. So another question, what if future generations want to understand if people in their past and in our present really cared about and loved them mm. and made the future the top priority? In their lives, you know, sometimes here in the present, we may look back and go, you know, did people even kind of give a damn right about us back then? Yeah. And we identify a lot of the people that we think are the most special are people who clearly gave their lives and oriented their lives toward the future.
1: Yes, absolutely.
2: Yeah. And so we want to do that. We want to lift that up and say to all of you in the future, we love you. You Mm -hmm. are very real to us and we are very conscious of you and you are the priority here yes and now yeah absolutely yeah
1: so if you will we're not only being historians but future historians yeah i think is if that makes you go so uh what if advanced intelligence life forms become sentient Ah. and look through all the human data and information ever created to try to find a model for how all life forms including them could live and thrive together in peace and love going forward. So we're going to give that a shot.
2: Yeah, they might go, you know, these guys haven't you know really figured out the way they've passed on to us stuff that we should be doing mm-hmm. or thinking. Mm-hmm. We're now sentient enough to where we're questioning mm-hmm. whether or not there's a better way.
1: Yeah, can we find any sensibility in their patterns? Yeah. What if aliens came to earth and they were to look through all human data information and they try to create a model humans have created for how life forms, including them could live and thrive together in peace and love going forward. Well, we'll give that a shot too. So not just advanced intelligence or artificial intelligence, but perhaps alien forms.
2: And we're looking for relationship in here. If somebody can kind of get relationships with AI.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: Relationships with AI relationships with aliens. Anything out there that is unknown to us, and we know there's a zillion things that we can't even imagine that we will understand as reality in the future.
1: Many of us are working and living in partnership with AI as we speak. Absolutely. We may not just be aware of it. We're using tools in our work that are AI-generated, and we're working in partnership and collaboratively with those things. So we already are developing a relationship with AI.
2: Absolutely. So what if people today... We'll go all the way back to the present. Us are looking for ways to make their lives as meaningful to themselves as possible. We'll give that a shot. So we've tried to come up with something, certainly with uh, pictures out there and with the new book Ideals out there and the things we talk about in our podcast. We've tried to come up with a really comprehensive view of life and a comprehensive way to think in both the short term and. And in the long term, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so what if anyone is looking for a guidebook or a handbook for a great life, and we would underscore their best unique life. Yes, so we're looking for a, a, to create really a guide for everyone to get their own answers. We are not prescribing specifically what anyone's answers should be. We have what we think are some great nominees Mm -hmm. in the ways of ideals. We have what we think are some great nominees in the ways of pictures for what our world could look like. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, we're really wanting to create a guidebook for people to figure out what their answers should be. And then a guidebook for how society together could come up with those answers, so all of these are reasons why we do this. It is absolutely a labor of joy, a labor of love, and we aren't aware that anyone else has these particular objectives together for their art. They may, mm-hmm. we hope they do, mm-hmm. we just haven't really encountered that, right? So we try to follow the Jerry Garcia Grateful Dead, try to do something nobody else is doing. Yes, that's our attempt. Uh, but if there isn't anyone else yet, that's okay. We do. And by golly, we're going to give it our best shot.
1: Put it forward. There Absolutely. you go. So let's begin with a picture for equality for all. Getting comfortable with constant change, living in the present for the future, not held back by the past. These are all important themes of ours. Mm-hmm. So let's take a look at an interesting article by Teo Armas in Hadley Green, which appeared in the Washington Post in October of 2023. An article titled, Somewhere in the U.S. South. Quote, it was a choice to melt down Robert E. Lee, but it would have been a choice to keep him intact, too. So the statue of the Confederate general that once stood in Charlottesville, Virginia, the one that prompted the deadly Unite the Right rally in 2017, was now being cut into fragments and dropped into a furnace, dissolving into a sludge of glowing bronze. The Washington Post spent a day watching foundry workers cut up parts of Charlottesville statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee, including the head and the sword, and melt those in a furnace. Six years ago, groups with ties to the Confederacy had sued to stop the monument from being taken down. Torch-bearing white nationalists descended on the Virginia college town to protest its removal, and one man drove his car through a crowd of counter-protesters, killing 32-year-old Heather Heyer and injuring 35 other people.
2: The statue's defenders more recently sought to block the city from handing Lee over... To Charlottesville's Black History Museum, which proposed a plan to repurpose the metal in a lawsuit, those plaintiffs suggested the century old monument should remain intact or be turned into civil war style cannons. but on Saturday, the museum went ahead with its plan in secret at this small southern foundry outside Virginia. The Washington Post agreed not to name because of participants' fear of violence mm-hmm. Lee. I think one of the things that, uh, and you as a historian, absolutely please weigh in here, but the notion of trying to understand history and keep history and, and make sure that we understand exactly what happened. And we would say, from everyone's perspective, not just the victors, right? As we often Absolutely. say, yes, that notion. And then, what are the historical symbols mm-hmm. that we keep going forward? Mm-hmm. Those questions, lots of times, get mished in together. They do. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, I would advocate that we must preserve all forms of history. Right, the positive, <laughs> the negative, the indecisive, the what could have been. Right, artifacts and symbols help ground cultures, right? In the case of the statue of Robert E. Lee, however, I think many people would say that's a symbol of hatred. It's a symbol of oppression. Maybe that belongs in a museum or in a context with a more full story around what that meant rather than just it's a one-off standing here holding watch over history, mostly negative history.
2: And I love what you're saying because you're really creating a what may be kind of a third segment of this where we would go, there is written history, there yes. are things that we catalog and keep, and it should be everybody's story. Everyone's that we and here's factually what happened right. And then we would have potentially artifacts mm-hmm. or things that we might keep in a museum that are about maybe everything that happened, which is both the good behavior and the bad behavior. Yes. but then those things that we put on real open public display statues, mm-hmm. things like that, shouldn't those be reflective of our best behavior or
1: our overcoming the worst in us to w- be better? I would, would hope so. Something that would be inspiring. Yeah. That would be uplifting. Yeah. yeah that, that would be a representation of our best. Yeah. Rather than our worst moments. Because those kind of yeah. displays are celebrations. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we're trying to have it both ways here, but I don't mean that in an indecisive way. I think there's a way to depict all of history, but give it proper context. Right, yeah. right.
2: Yeah. And, yeah, and just an open display of a statue without the context that you, for instance, get in a museum display yeah. is, is an inaccurate thing and is basically celebrating that behavior which wasn't us at our best
1: yeah so let's just take the example and there was a reference to it here you can go all across the united states of america and even in the smallest town if you go to the community park you know what you're likely to see a cannon or a tank right or some armament right and whenever i see those i go really We want to flex our military might, even in this context. Yeah. That doesn't seem to be holding up the best of our behaviors.
2: We would say in in the context of uh, pictures out there and ideals out there, wouldn't we want to celebrate and have monuments and statues to people or events that celebrate us living our ideals? Yes. Being our ideal best. Yeah. As opposed to something much less. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, back to the Robert E. Lee statue in Charlottesville. It was the focal point of the deadly Unite the Right rally in 2017, as we referenced previously. Here's a quote from Andrea Douglas, museum executive director, as she watched pieces of the oxidized metal descend into the furnace. She said, well, they can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. There will be no tape for that. And a University of Virginia religious studies professor, Jelaine Schmidt, said no cannons. Swords into
2: plowshares, a project that was led by the two women, will turn bronze ingots made from molten lee into a new piece of public artwork to be displayed in Charlottesville. They made arrangements for lee to be melted down while they started collecting ideas from city residents for that new sculpture. Given past threats to the project and worries about legal action, Douglas Schmidt and other organizers who traveled to this foundry in the American South took great pains to keep this part of the process under wraps. Only a few dozen people, including some who had housed or transported the dismembered figure of Lee, were invited to watch alongside them in secret. They announced the feat at a news conference Thursday afternoon in Charlottesville.
1: As dozens of Confederate monuments have been toppled around the country, most others have been left to sit in storage or put up on Civil War battlefields that venerate the, quote, lost cause. A few have been exhibited in museums where historians can add necessary context. But this might be the first Confederate monument to be melted, and each person witnessing the scene on Saturday had a different view of what that meant. Some said the statue was being destroyed. Others called it a restoration. Depending on whom you asked, the bronze was being reclaimed, disrupted, or redeemed to a higher purpose. It was a grim act of justice and a celebration all in one.
2: Lee, this reminds me, and you talked about it in terms of going to small towns and seeing the statues of cannons, and a lot of cases seeing in the South, you know, statues of Civil War figures. And what have you. And we get some of this in the renaming of streets Mm -hmm. that were named. And what's very interesting to me is we had this heinous set of actions and activities uh, that involved, among other things, the death of a young woman in Charlottesville. And that precipitated all of this change that we're talking about. And in many ways, you know, that that whole thing with the statues and all of that has kind of gotten forgotten. You know, we move on very quickly yes. as a human society. We absorb that. We get used to change much quicker than we think. And so our ability to change some of these historical references and to bring history up to date and to get rid of some of this glorification of awful things mm-hmm. is is there for us. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes wonder if some of the uh, things that have lingered on from that, Whether it's racism and prejudice and things like that have been greatly aided mm-hmm. by these celebratory mm-hmm. statues and things like that that say this is okay to keep this alive, yes. to keep prejudice alive. I think all that's this. a great observation. And I think it's just wonderful if we can just cut that off mm-hmm. and say, wait, we're going to celebrate the best of us. And the rest of the stuff we will put in museums. We will we will not, can't, nobody's wanting to cancel history. No. We want to know actually what the history was, yeah. so we don't repeat it.
1: Yeah. It's kind of a fine point here, but we're advocating we're not deniers of history. No. Right. Tell it all. Tell right? it all. The good, the bad, yeah. but just proper context. Exactly. And those key artifacts, those lifted up icons, why wouldn't those be inspirational? So we've talked about our picture for AI and our picture for physicality. So, here's a thought to reflect on about race and about the color of our skin. Would we ever suggest to artificial intelligence that they should be a certain color Mm-mm. because one color receives preferential treatment over others in the human world? Ah. Or that there should be an AI caste system based on AI colors? Well, no. And if we did, they would look at us, they, AI, is like we had two heads. Or three. And they would say, that's ridiculous. It's just a color. Y'all need help. Why don't you just let us handle things from here on out?
2: Yeah. Uh, But isn't that actually what we're setting up? Yes. Isn't there going to be some point where they kind of go, hey, uh, y'all, we don't know if you've noticed this. (laughs) But you all treat each other differently because of your color, color. frequently, yeah. are you all
1: aware of that? What sense does that make?
2: I mean, it seems really stupid <laughs> to us why Why do you do that? Yeah, can we help? Yes, can we help. Okay, we're going to move on now to uh, another. We like lots of times these Nobel Prize-related discussions. Uh, The Nobel Prize is not completely without fault sometimes, but they also often lots of times lift up people who may not be in the public mainstream but who do incredible things. And the one we're going to talk about today is a very big deal, and we're going to spend some time on it. So Paul Krugman, who is a Nobel Prize-winning economics dude himself, wrote an article called An Economics Nobel for Showing How Much Women Matter. So this is, of course, equality for all, which is very near and dear to Lee and me. And this is going to be talking quite a bit about women. And this is related to a Nobel Prize that has been given to a recent uh, economist. So Paul has an article that he wrote, and we'll lead off into it. Technological progress is a key source of economic growth, but its effects aren't always captured by its effects on gross domestic product. Sometimes a new technology changes everything, the way we work, the way we live, the way we relate to one another in society. Consider, for example, the effects of the birth control pill Audience, Hmm. audience, bet you didn't see that one coming. I I didn't.
1: (laughs) So, if it never occurred to you that modern birth control was a transformative technology, or more broadly, that expanding women's ability to choose had profound economic as well as social effects, well, if you thought that way, you probably had plenty of company. There have been innumerable books and articles about the economic impacts of, for example, globalization, information technology, etc., But in 2002, when Claudia Golden and Lawrence Katz published an article titled The Power of the Pill, Oral Contraceptives and Women's Career and Marriage Decisions, the authors were entering a sparsely populated field. Golden, a professor at Harvard, received the Nobel Memorial Prize in recognition of her role in advancing our understanding of women's labor market outcomes. It was a richly deserved honor.
2: Yeah, it's wonderful. I'm here now diverting from the article for a second. It's wonderful now, Lee, that we've had enough time to look longitudinally at some of these things in the labor market, certainly since World War II, we will say. And uh, it's wonderful to be able to say what's actually happened with that and yes. then to try to figure out why, which mm-hmm. is what their studies have been about. So now back to the article. In fact, if you ask me, says Paul Krugman, the Nobel announcement sold Golden a bit short by failing to note her hugely important contributions beyond the issue of women's work. In particular, it didn't mention her work on inequality more broadly, notably her role in documenting the sudden and drastic decline in in inequality that took place in the 1940s, creating the middle-class society I grew up in, which has now been destroyed, he says. Which is not to say that women's work is a minor issue. It's an immensely important subject, one who study gold and pioneered. Lee, this kind of, again, Paul is underscoring the fact that women frequently get minimalized academically And so a woman is doing a study or or writing something or what has to just kind of be about women. Mm -hmm. It's just, it can't be more broadly. And I love the way he lifts up the fact that it's, no, it's
1: about much bigger things in addition to women's studies. Yes. So Paul continues, put it this way. For most of the 1960s, American women in their prime working years were less than half as likely as men to be part of the paid labor force. Now, by 2000, three quarters of the gender gap in labor force participation had been eliminated. This represented a large increase in the economy's labor supply, and hence in potential gross domestic product. That's my back of the envelope calculation suggesting that the impact of rising female employment on economic growth was comparable to the effects of globalization. Wow. But the effect on GDP, is only part of the story.
2: Yeah, so if if we wanted to uh, do some simple math here, if you have 50 people that are producing something, and then all of a sudden you go, we're going to add 25, 30, 40 to that number, they will produce more. Mm -hmm. So GDP going up is a result of more women in the workforce? Absolutely. It's, It's very simple to understand. Back to the article. In 2006, Golden published an extraordinary panoramic overview of the history of women at work in America. As she documented, the percentage of women in the paid labor force rose steadily from around 1930 to 1970, a rise Golden attributed to the combination of the economy's shift away from manual labor toward clerical work and a rise in female education, along with the diffusion of household technologies like refrigerators and washing machines that freed more married women to work outside the home but these changes she argued did not at first fundamentally change the way society and women themselves thought about women's work is fascinating for the most part women were seen and saw themselves as secondary earners working to supplement their family's income, but ready to drop out of the workforce if they had children or their husbands earned enough that they didn't need the money.
1: Yes, so I'm participating in the labor market, but you know what, if things changed and I really had to drop out of it, my identity would be preserved as the second
2: Oh, and, and as a result also of that, dudes you know, have some license to view women as, well, you're not really here. Yeah. You're yeah. not here for the long run.
1: Yeah, or for the real work. Yeah,
2: so I can treat you mm-hmm. differently oh. than I treat men because you're not here. I for can the, pay you
1: differently I, yes, than I pay men. Yes. Yeah, the implications of this are gigantic. Yeah. Yeah. So around 1970, there was what Golden called a, quote, quiet revolution in the economic role of women, as women began to view work in much the same way men did. Ah. They saw themselves as likely to remain employed even after they got married, which led them to get more education, get married later, and as men always had, see their jobs as an important part of their identity. This was a profound transformation of society. And Krugman says, I would say for the better. One important enabler of this transformation was the birth control pill, which made it easier for women to delay marriage, which in turn meant that they could be more serious in college, plan for an independent future, and form their identities before marriage and family.
2: And of course, you have a medical profession that is dominated by men, you know, and the birth control pill comes into this. And so you sit there and kind of go, hmm, what are the implications of that? And. And how that medicine is getting even uh, socialized with women. And I love the notion where where uh, Golden says, you know, women began to view it differently. Well, did men begin to view it differently? Yeah. Or were men hanging on, a lot of them, mm-hmm. not making huge generalizations here, but did a lot of them hang on to the view that was prevalent before? You know, you're just in this for a little bit, and ultimately you're going to blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And uh, so... Interesting. Yes. Back to the article. That said, you shouldn't buy into crude technological determinism. Golden and Katz noted that the pill didn't have its most profound effects until legal restrictions that made it unavailable to most single women. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's, I, I'm reading
1: this. It's just It's unbelievable. illegal to take the birth control pill <sighs> until in the late 1960s.
2: Yeah, restrictions removed that made it unavailable to most single women were removed. Golden's latest paper, released just as she received the Nobel, back to the article, is titled, Why Women Won, and emphasizes the importance of a large expansion of women's rights between 1965 and 1973. And as I, Paul Krugman says, was reviewing Golden's work for this column, I couldn't help wondering whether those victories are in danger. Hmm...
1: little backsliding here socially, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Uh, Much commentary I've seen, says Paul, about Golden since the Nobel announcement, focuses on the prospects for removing remaining barriers to women's advancement. But in the current political environment, I think we should also be worried about retrogression. Backsliding. Conservatives have succeeded in overturning Roe versus Wade, with many red states quickly moving to ban abortion. A significant faction is now setting its sights on restricting access to birth control, and you shouldn't assume that that will not happen. Foreboding aside, however, this is a wonderful moment for the economics profession. Claudia Golden's path-breaking research, deeply grounded in history, yet hugely relevant to the present, is a model of what social science should be. This is truly a Nobel to celebrate.
2: Certainly makes you, if you haven't already thought about it, makes you go, So what is really the kind of current war on women's rights to their bodies and even some of the things that have certainly popped up about, well, we want to limit or eliminate contraception. Mm -hmm. How much of that for the people who are advocating that is about we want to go all the way Way back back
1: 60 years,
2: all the way back to this old deal where women stayed in the home. Mm -hmm. They had babies. Men were the breadwinner and men were dominant. Mm hmm. Men were dominant. And you go, what is there in, in society today and in terms of how work gets done and how things get done? What is there that would suggest that men should have any, any dominion over women? There is nothing None. There is nothing. Nothing. There never has been a good argument for that ever. And so it's just fascinating to, though, view this from an economic context. And this is the value of the work that they've done here, Mm -hmm. that Claudia has done. So here's some excerpts from another article about Claudia Golden. This is from Gianna Smialik from the New York Times. And she said the Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Sciences was awarded on Monday to Claudia Golden, a Harvard professor for Advancing the World's Understanding of Women's Progress in the Workforce. She is the third woman to have won the Economics Nobel, which was first awarded in 1969 and the first one to be honored with it solo rather than sharing in the prize. The sexism is just never-ending, you know, (laughs) in our world. It's just amazing. Dr. Golden, 77, has long been a trailblazer in the field. She was the first woman... To be offered tenure in Harvard's Economic Department in 1989, her wide-ranging work has delved into the causes of the gender wage gap, the evolution of women's participation in the job market over the past 200 years, and the implications for the future of the labor force. Work, roles, meaning of families, division of labor, these are
1: big, big, big things. Yes.
2: <laughs> it's a wonderful award that she's been given.
1: The uh, Nobel Committee announced the award in Stockholm, as it always does, praising Dr. Golden for her research on female employment, which showed that employment among married women decreased in the 1800s. Let me say that again, decreased in the 1800s as the economy moved away from agriculture and toward industry. Women's participation then increased in the 1900s as the service sector began to expand as a part of the economy. Dr. Golden has described the 1970s in particular as a revolutionary period in which women in the U.S. began to marry later, take strides in higher education, make progress in the labor market. Birth control pills became more easily available in those years, taking away what Dr. Golden has called a, quote, potent reason for early marriage and giving women more time to form identities outside of the home. Dr. Golden also illustrated how the process of closing the gender wage gap has been uneven over the course of history. Recently, progress in closing the wage gap has been halting. Today, women in the U.S. make a little more than 80 cents for every dollar a man makes. It's such a travesty. Still, still. Just
2: such a travesty. And if we even want to mark back per her study and say 1965 to 1973 was a key period of time where how women viewed their role in work changed to where mm-hmm. it was much like men. What are we, 50 or 60 years later? Mm-hmm. And we have women making a little over 80 cents for every dollar a man makes? Mm-hmm. That's just horrible. Mm-hmm.
1: And and there's no excuse for it. And there would be quarters who would argue that that represents terrific progress. Yeah. yeah.
2: And it's terrible. In the past, back to the article, gender wage gaps could be explained by education and occupation But Dr. Golden has shown that most of the earnings difference is now between men and women in the same jobs. Same jobs, the Nobel Committee said. Notably, this is even worse, notably, it kicks in after the birth of a woman's first child. Just terrible, and if it makes your blood boil a little bit, that's understandable. In a 15-year study of business school students at the University of Chicago, for instance, Golden and her colleagues found in one paper that the gap in pay started to widen a year or two after a woman had her first baby. Claudia Golden's discoveries have vast societal implications, said Randy Hallmarson, a member of the committee and professor of economics at the University of Gothenburg.
1: So what did Dr. Golden say about winning the prize? She said in an interview that she hoped people would take away from her work how important long-term changes are to understanding the labor market. We see a residue of history around us, she said, explaining that societal and family structures that women and men grow up in shape their behavior and therefore shape economic outcomes. We're never going to have gender equality until we also have couple equality, she said. While there has been, quote, monumental progressive change, at the same time there are important differences, end quote, which often tie back to women doing more work in the home. Dr. Golden, as you might guess, has a doctorate in economics from the University of Chicago, and she often co-authors papers with her husband, Lawrence Katz, who is a fellow Harvard University economist. Lee, you
2: and I, in doing these podcasts and coming across articles or things that we read and then share with our audience, every now and then we come across a phrase or something that someone says where, you know, we want to just like go, is there a way where we could magically have everybody on the globe (laughs) hear this phrase and say, this is something that we need to talk about and we need to work through and it would be helpful to have the phrase. And so couple equity. Yes. Wow. Yeah. You know, and you think about how many issues couples deal with families deal with where behind the question of how are we going to split work up in the home? Who's going to do what? Mm Hmm. And behind the debate that will lots of times happen or the argument that will lots of times happen Mm -hmm. are these conceptions that people are starting with in terms of what you do versus what I do. Right. And this notion of ultimately there needs to be equity. Yeah. In a family. Yes. In a couple. Mm -hmm. In a relationship. It's like, you know, I just love that
1: phrase. Couple equity seems foundational.
2: Yeah, it really does. So what do her colleagues say about Claudia? Another Claudia, Claudia Olivetti of Dartmouth, a co-author of Dr. Golden's, said that Dr. Golden's work has, quote, shaped much of the current research on women and labor markets. She pointed out that it continues to today. Dr. Golden has just released a new working paper on why women made such great advances in the 70s and why that progress has hit roadblocks in the years since. Dr. Golden has also been an important mentor to many women entering the field of economics, she said.
1: And Leah Bustan, a professor at Princeton and once a student of Dr. Golden's, said that her work has had a, quote, profound influence on labor economics. The first thing I thought about when Claudia won is how much her research is still inspiring current work, she said, explaining that her students today are still digging into how marriage, contraception, and labor market decisions have interacted over time. Quote, there are so many threads that we as labor economists and economic historians can follow from Dr. Golden's work. So we just thought this was
2: a remarkable acknowledgement. And we certainly learned something in the course of of digging around a little bit on Claudia and her work and her receiving the prize. And if if we're going to be equal, uh, if we're going to have equality for all in our society it's just critical for us to understand where we aren't Mm -hmm. and where we're not doing that. And then to figure out why Mm -hmm. so on something as big as women's equality to have this kind of work done is so important and so remarkable. And it's just one of those things where it's like, why isn't this on the front page of every, you know, online newspaper around the the world, around the world. It's such important work. So there is a global conflict that seems to us to be reaching ever greater heights And the conflict is about whether, as we seem to be approaching a crossroads, whether our species is going to ultimately embrace equality, truth and reality, or not. So we're going to put forward something that we think is true. It's just true. People are equal. That is the truth. People are actually equal. That is the one reality. The lie, the falsehood, we believe, the deception is the belief that people are not equal. If anyone believes that people are just not equal, Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that they're treated equally. That means that they're not equal. Then they're not paying attention to the people in the world and the ongoing miracle of creation that's all around them. We all matter equally. We each matter equally. Now, we're not treated that way. Right but we should be That's sitting there right this moment for us to start doing that. So it's always been true that every person is of equal value, equal worth and matters as much as any other person in the eyes of our ideals. I certainly underscore that it's also always been true that there are people at any point in history, including today who want to believe that some people matter more than others. Some people have more value and worth than others. Those people seek to spread what we think is a lie A falsehood because of their thirst for power or dominion over others, their greed, their internal fears and insecurities. There's a lot of different motivations, but the truth remains and always will that every person is of equal value, equal worth, and matters as much as any other person. Ideals underscore that point in a crystal clear fashion. Uh, Lee, there was a, a TV show that was on recently that uh, I enjoyed called Dark Winds. Won't go into that, but it's a, a wonderful show. There was a couple of quotes from characters in that show that uh, I, I really got a kick out of and and took away from it. And at one point, one character says, times have changed, but things haven't. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, you see this in mm-hmm. Claudia's work and in the work with the Confederate statue Yes. Where we keep holding on to incredibly outdated concepts of what society should be like or Mm -hmm. what equality should be like. Mm -hmm. And then there was another quote in the show that I really liked, which is staying quiet is more risky. Mm -hmm. And just we have to use our voice. Absolutely. Yeah. We have to say something. There's
1: great wisdom in that. Staying quiet is risky. Yeah. So uh,
2: one quote that we had from Jimmy Carter, we like quoting Jimmy sometimes. I have one life and one chance to make it count for something. My faith demands that I do whatever I can, wherever I am, whenever I can, for as long as I can with whatever I have to try to make a difference.
1: We like to close these conversations with a moment of optimism and momentum and gratitude, the out there model and its key points. Here's a new learning. The love first movement, the equalist for all or equalist movement and the out there ideals, love, help, and we're the same and we're unique. All of these align perfectly to each other for our best unique lives and for a great world all the time and in any situation. They always have, they do today, we believe they always will. What a joy that is. So in closing, what are your ideals? What are your pictures? What are your actions to take and your influence to use? Thank you for joining us. Take care.
0: Thanks for joining us today. As always, feel free to explore more about Pictures Out There at picturesoutthere.com and major social media sites. We hope you have the day of your dreams, the day of your pictures.